Please pray with me. Father, we give you this thanks for this time to stand before you and to hear from your word. We take this opportunity to, to humble ourselves before you and to recognize that you know so much more than we do. And so we ask that you would use this time, that you would use your word and your spirit to teach us, to teach us the things that you know that we need to know. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How do I know if I'm forgiven? Have you ever thought about that? How do I know if I'm really forgiven? There's many people in this world who don't like the idea of forgiveness. They don't think they need it. They don't think other people deserve it. And a lot of times, those people end up being pretty bitter, kind of grumpy in old age. Then there's people who believe in forgiveness, believe deeply that God has forgiven them, and they walk around with a new lease on life, with this newfound lightness, with this newfound freedom. But then there's a lot of us who believe that God forgives us when we humble ourselves before him. And we can hold on to that on good days, but then on not so good days, we, we kind of wrestle with it and, is it really true? Has God really forgiven me? Do I need to do something else? And so the question we're going to ask today is, how do we know? How do we know that we're really forgiven? Many of you know that this is one of the questions in our 10 Tough Questions series. We took questions from parishioners over the summer and are answering some of the big questions that were submitted. So today we're going to answer that question, how do I know if I'm forgiven? And how can I come to greater certainty if I'm not sure? To start out, let's take a look at a story that Jesus told. Jesus had been teaching the disciples about how to resolve conflict between them, between other members of God's family. And as a follow-up question to that teaching, Peter says, Lord, he, he, Peter asks in effect, Lord, if Paul keeps sinning against me, how many times do I need to forgive him? Is seven times enough? Which is actually a lot of times. And Jesus says, no, seven times is not enough, but 77 times. Other translations read 70 times seven. Unlimited forgiveness. In our reading from Genesis 4, Lamech wanted unlimited revenge. Jesus wants unlimited forgiveness. And then he tells a story to make his point. He says there was a king who began to settle his financial accounts with people who owed him money. And there was a slave who owed him 10,000 talents. Would you do me a favor? If you have worked for 15 years or more, would you raise your hand? Just go ahead and raise your hand. If you have worked for at least 15 years, you have made one talent. A talent is not a unit we use anymore, but it represents 15 years of wages. This slave owed 10,000 talents. According to the most recent data from the Census Bureau, just released this month, the median household income for an American family is just a little over $50,000. So if we do the math, $50,000 times 15 years equals one talent. 
multiply that by 10,000 talents, this slave owed $7.5 billion. According to Forbes magazine, there are currently 123 people in the world who could pay that debt. It would leave some of them destitute, but they could do it. How in the world does someone lose that much money? Three things are clear. This slave was wildly irresponsible. He owed an astronomical sum, more like a national debt than a personal debt. And he had no way of paying this debt. The king, he obviously had to do something. If he didn't, his name would be dirt. Everyone would be irresponsible with his money, with his loans. The right decision, the just decision, was to have this slave and his family sold into slavery. The king could recoup some of what he lost. But more importantly, he would still have good standing in the community and people would not take advantage of him. So that's what the king decides to do. And the sentence is being read. The slave throws himself at the feet of the king and begs for more time. Have mercy with me and I will pay you everything. How? How is this guy going to pay him everything? How is he going to, who's going to loan him even $10,000? How is he going to start with nothing and turn that into $7.5 billion? And even if he wants to, to work it off, how is he possibly going to live the tens of thousands of years needed to earn those wages? The king knows there is no way this man can pay that debt. In verse 27, we read, the king had pity on him. And look carefully at what happens. The king does not grant the slave's request. The slave begged for more time. The king does not give more time. The king cancels the debt, something the slave did not ask for. The slave was given more than he asked for. That is a remarkable story in and of itself. If we were to modernize this story, we could talk about how after both parents lost their jobs, a family fell behind on their mortgage payments, and after four or five months, the bank had lost patience, and just as the loan officer is finalizing the papers for foreclosure, the dad comes in and begs for more time. But instead of giving more time, the loan officer rips up the mortgage and hands the deed over. This is not a story we are used to. It's not a story we're used to in our economic lives or our personal lives. It would be a remarkable story if it ended here, but Jesus continues on. This slave who is now solvent emerges much lighter from the king's court. Some of you have heard me speak about how I once visited Leavenworth Maximum Security Prison for just a day. And even though it was just a day, when I walked out of those walls, I felt so much lighter. I imagine the slave had to feel so much lighter, like he had a new lease on life. And as he leaves on the way home, he encounters a fellow slave. This guy owed him a hundred denarii. A denarius is not a unit we use anymore either. It represented one day's wage. So using the same data from the census department, 100 denarii was about $14,000 today. 
which is significant, but not $7.5 billion. The slave who owed the money makes the exact same request the other slave did. Have patience with me and I will pay you. The forgiven slave, like the king, does not grant that request. But unlike the king, the forgiven slave, the quote forgiven slave, doesn't forgive the debt either. He threw this other slave in jail. And we read in the rest of the passage that their fellow slaves around them saw everything that had happened. They're so furious and agitated and distraught. They go and tell the king. The king is infuriated. He gets the slave who he'd forgiven, throws him into jail, has him tortured until he can pay everything. And then Jesus concludes the story this way. So likewise, my heavenly father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. What can we draw from this story? In this story, God is the king and we are the slave. We owe him billions of dollars we cannot pay. He forgives us our debt if we invite him to, and then we get to decide what kind of slave we're going to be. One that forgives others their debt or one that demands our legal rights. Here's what I see is the main takeaway in this passage. In this passage, is God saying that he has forgiven us way more than we will ever be asked to forgive others? The resounding answer is yes. God is saying that although we have been through some painful, terrible things, truly terrible, from what others have done to us, He has forgiven us much more than we will ever be asked to forgive someone else. Now, even if we believe in God, even if we believe his words of forgiveness, that he forgives us, that may be hard for us to truly hear, not just in our head, but in our heart. Here's one thing that I think makes it hard for us to understand that message. We live in a society that trusts the words of Santa Claus much more than it trusts the words of Jesus. Now, you and I don't believe that Santa Claus exists, but we sure do believe in his words. He comes up to us and he says, Isaac, if you're a good grown-up man, Josh, if you're a good little boy, you will be given good things. But Anne... If you're a bad grown-up woman, Jonathan, if you're a bad grown-up boy, you're not going to get good things because you get good things when you earn them. And you're not going to get good things until you get yourself off the bad list and onto the good list. That's the message we're used to hearing in our society. We live in a merit-based society, not a grace-based society. And what we make at work, the grades we get in school, sometimes even the people who will be friends with us is determined by what we bring to the table, what we can do for other people. And that makes it hard for us to hear Jesus' words, to truly listen to them. That's the American way. That's the Santa Claus way. It's the way we're used to. If there's one person in the world besides Satan that Jesus does not like, I think it's Santa Claus. 
So in all seriousness, be careful you don't confuse their voices. We can be told by God, like the slave was, that we are forgiven. But sometimes it's hard to hear that. The slave who owed billions heard the words, but he didn't understand he was forgiven. And that's why he didn't forgive the debt of his fellow slave. He didn't understand he was forgiven. Daryl Johnson puts it this way. He says, if we are asking God for mercy while refusing mercy to others, we are not asking for mercy. If I'm asking God for mercy yet refusing mercy to others, I do not yet grasp what I am asking for for myself. I do not yet understand how deeply I am forgiven. And when I refuse to, give, to forgive you, I'm saying to you, you must first repay the debt you owe me before we can be reconciled. That is justice, but not forgiveness. Those who forgive understand how much they've been forgiven. So how is it that this slave could be forgiven this vast sum by the king, but not understand what's been done for him? Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 13 that explains what's going on here. In that parable, Jesus talks about four different types of people represented by four different types of soil. And from what he says in the parable, he makes it clear that all these different types of people, these different types of soil, are present in the church. And we know that because each of those soils willingly heard the word of God. They didn't run away from the word of God. They heard it symbolized, God's word is symbolized by seed. And all four soils hear the word, but only one soil listens to it. You know, it's, we hear stuff all the time, but we don't listen to everything we hear. Tomorrow morning, if I turn on the news and the weather man says that it's, it's raining, if you want to stay dry on the way to work, take an umbrella with you. Now, I can hear that, but I'm not listening to what he says unless I take an umbrella with me. The difference in these soils was that one listened, understood, did something with it, and kept listening and that soil stuff blossomed. This guy was hearing lots of stuff, just like you and I do. We hear stuff all the time on Facebook, email, friends and family, coworkers. But just because we hear stuff doesn't mean we listen to it. And the danger for us is that Jesus' words will be just other stuff we hear, just another voice we hear, but we don't really listen to it. The man who was, quote, forgiven, heard the words. But he was listening to the old tapes in his head. And so that said, you are entitled to this money that this other slave owes you. Here's the truest test I know. If you want to know if you've been forgiven, ask yourself this. Do I forgive others? When people wrong me, and my blood boils, over time, am I genuinely able to say, I have forgiven them? Am I able to say that my blood pressure no longer spikes when I think of them? Not because time heals all wounds, but because of the forgiveness I've received from God, and with his help, I have sought to pass that on to them. 
that may not happen overnight. And for some wrongs that are so vile, it may not even happen over a year. But more often than not, am I from my heart, with God's help, able to forgive those who have wronged me? And do I walk around lighter because I have forgiven them? And because I know that I'm forgiven by God? That is the most reliable sign we have to know whether or not we have been forgiven. But then here's where it gets tricky. What if we believe by faith that God has forgiven us, but we just have a really hard time forgiving others? What if that's the case? How can we progress in this? I have this friend who's four years old, and uh, she's great, super outgoing. Every time she sees me, hey, Josh, hey, Josh, Josh, look at this, look at that. One day I was in the neighborhood, and she got this brand new bike for her birthday, her first bike ever. And she said, Josh, come watch how fast I can ride. And she flew away. A couple weeks later, somebody stole her bike. And a couple days after that, this big poster appeared taped to the trash can behind her house. And her parents helped her make it, and it said, to the person who stole my bike. I forgive you. I hope you have fun with my bike. And then she signed her name. My friend may be young, but she is genuine. When she's happy, you know it. When she's sad or mad, you know it. And from everything I know about my friend, it seemed that that was genuine forgiveness. And that she was able to do that because she loves Jesus And she knows that she's been forgiven, and she wants to pass that on to others. So how can we get to the point where we respond like my friend, where we know we're forgiven if it's hard for us to forgive others? Here are some practical things. The first thing we have to do is to take it by faith. That if we have, with a sincere heart, asked Jesus to forgive us, to take it by faith that he has... But then we need to put some legs on that faith. And here's how we do that. We stop listening to Santa Claus. It's okay to still hear his voice and the voice of our society, but stop listening to it. Instead, we need to stop merely hearing Jesus and start listening to him. And we need to help each other live in a grace-based world and not a merit world. Now, part of that is something that's not very comfortable. Part of that is admitting when we mess up. If you never do anything wrong, you don't need grace. If you have no reason to say, I'm sorry, you have no reason to receive forgiveness. And if your way of saying sorry is by buying gifts, stop doing that. At least all the time. When you do that, when you rely on that, You are not seeking forgiveness. You're trying to bribe your way, earn your way back into someone's good graces. We can help each other by speaking words of forgiveness to each other. A couple weeks ago, I I had an exchange with a co-worker, and I wasn't very nice. And they they came to me, and we we talked about it, and I admitted that what I did was, was wrong and mean, and I apologized, 
And then my coworker said, I forgive you, Josh. It was great. We can help each other hear and listen to Jesus' words by speaking them to each other. And then here's a third thing you can do if you really want to step on the gas. If you want to understand the heart of the gospel, grace, forgiveness, serve the poor. It used to be that when somebody stopped me on the street asking for money, it used to be that I would interrogate them, that I would interview them to make sure they weren't going to take advantage of my generosity, to make sure they were going to use whatever I gave them well. Because what if they didn't deserve my help? And what if they were going to misuse the stuff I gave them? Then, maybe 12, 18 months ago, somewhere along the line, it dawned on me. God could ask me the very same thing. He could ask, how do I know you're not going to take advantage of my mercy? How do I know you deserve this mercy? What if you did something to get yourself into this situation? He could ask all those questions, but he doesn't. When you start serving the poor, when you start interacting with them one-on-one, you start to wrestle with all kinds of issues that relate not just to the poor, but are at the heart of the gospel and at the heart of our relationship with God. So how do you and I know if we're forgiven? You will know you're forgiven when your heart starts softening towards those who have wronged you. When with God's help, you are genuinely able to forgive others. And if that's hard, do three things. Listen to God's word. Don't let it be just another voice you hear, but pay attention to it. Listen and keep listening until it sinks in and takes root. And then start practicing. Practice admitting that you've messed up. Practice asking for forgiveness and practice forgiving others. And then if you want to take the advanced placement course, start interacting with the poor one-on-one if you don't already. Let's pray. Father, we give you great thanks for the unlimited forgiveness you offer us. We ask that you would help us to comprehend the depth of that love. We ask that you would sink your truth deep into our lives. And we pray that as that truth flourishes, that you would teach us more about the gospel, about you, about forgiveness, and that you would enable us not as, a, not as something that we go through the motions with, but that you would genuinely enable us to forgive those who have wronged us. Because you know that people have wronged us, and it hurts, and it's deep. We ask that your love and your mercy would pour into those wounds. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.